the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Jesus is saying here, referred to him as Father, Abba. He's your daddy in heaven. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that in a personal, relational way is the way that Jesus intended. That he is our Abba. He is our Father who loves us and wants relationship with us. And Jesus takes us and he makes it very personal. He says, then your singular, personal Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Today, Pastor Gary will share with you about God's identity. In the time of Jesus in Israel, the religious groups would not call God by His name. They would refer to Him with a Hebrew word, meaning the name. In the passage from today's message, Jesus says that we should call God Father. Think of what a good father should do. A good father should love and care for his children. He should teach them how to do things and help them along the way. This is how Jesus wants us to view God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 6 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Give in such a way that it is so private and discreet and unto the Lord that, that your left hand wouldn't even know what your right hand is doing. It's, it's that discreet. And I have to say that, you know, I, I have been able to witness anonymously uh, how the Lord has been using some of you in this regard. We have some families who are going through some difficulties right now. And occasionally, and I hear this from pastors, not by name, I have no idea who this is, but some of the pastors on staff have said about how some of you will privately just give a wad of cash to one of our pastors and say, hey, could you bless this family because they're going through a hard time and you knew about it. And so we just transfer the money to them in that simple way. And it is your way of living out this when some of you do that. Where, where you see a family in need, but you don't want it to be known, and so you give through a third party so that they can be blessed, and that's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus is saying, that it's wonderful to be a blessing to other people, but we don't even have to uh, have it known when, when we want to be a blessing, because we want to do it ultimately unto the Lord. And uh, it's, it's, you know, sometimes if you practice this kind of thing, you know what kind of a thrill it is because you just want to bless somebody. You don't ever want them to know. And so you just give it anonymously. You send it in the mail. You just do something that blesses other people. And this is the kind of thing that God sees and that God rewards. And it's also noteworthy that in verse 4, when Jesus ends this section, he says, so that your giving may be in secret, then your father, the word your in the Greek is singular. 
Now he's speaking to, uh, you know, we don't know how many, he doesn't say how many people, but, but there's a great number of people who have gathered here as he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, and yet he personalizes this. And again, he takes the concept of God as being big and creator and national God, and he makes it very personal, and he makes it singular. He says, then your personal Father in heaven. Just, just hear how relational that is. Your Father in heaven. They would not typically in those days have referred to God as Father. They, they would not, even out of respect, even today, Jews out of respect for God, do not even use his proper name. They will say in Hebrew, Hashem, which just means the name. We don't even want to say his proper name because we don't want to dishonor his name. And Jesus is saying here, refer to him as Father, Abba. He's your daddy in heaven. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that in a personal, relational way is the way that Jesus intended. That he is our Abba. He is our Father who loves us and wants relationship with us. And Jesus takes us and he makes it very personal. He says, then your singular, personal Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then Jesus speaks here in this section of prayer. Now, prayer is important. Historically, uh, prayer was something that the Jews practiced as a ritual. And to some degree, in all honesty, uh, they still do today. Now, let me just give a little uh, background on the subject of prayer before we launch into what Jesus says, so that it will give you some perspective on this. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you can either turn there or just listen, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, the Lord um, establishes some significance on, um, on knowing the Word of God and uh, in prayer, uh, because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is a section known uh, to the Jews as the great Shema. Uh, Shema means to hear, and there is a prayer out of Deuteronomy 6, 4, uh, that that uh, the Jews will recite on a regular basis. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Elehonu, Adonai Echad. The Lord is one, but he's our God who is one. And then the Lord says in Deuteronomy 6, 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Now just retain that. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, when the Lord gave this instruction here in Deuteronomy 6, the Jews began to take this very literally so that prayer then took on the, a time of twice a day because the Lord says here about uh, when you lie down and when you get up. So originally, the Jews practiced a regular time of prayer twice a day before 9 a.m. in the morning and before 9 p.m. at night. When you get up and when you lie down. 9 a.m., before 9 a.m. and before 9 p.m., twice a day. They also took the other section literally where God says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And uh, so even today, uh, you will find when... Uh, Orthodox Jews will pray that they will literally tie these boxes around their forehead called phylacteries and they will uh, tie leather straps around their arms at, at, to 
to take literally that passage from Deuteronomy 6. In fact, here's a picture of uh, a soldier of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, as he's in his time of prayer, and you see the box that is tied on his forehead. He has another box on his arm, and he has the leather, the, the leather straps that are tied tightly on his arm, and this is the way that they remind themselves literally of Deuteronomy 6. And in those boxes on the forehead and on his arm are passages of Scripture, uh, mainly from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11 and Numbers chapter 15 that are, that are rolled up, little tiny verses, passages of Scripture in those boxes, and they take this literally that they are to bind them on their forehead and on their arms. Uh, did Jesus mean this? Or rather, did the law mean it as literally as uh, they practice it today? Well, uh, Jesus actually rebukes some of this in Matthew 23, 5, when he talks about the showiness. Now, I'm not saying this guy's trying to be showy. I'm just saying that in Jesus' day, when they would do this, they would do it with wrong motives because Jesus rebuked them in their hearts. And he said in Matthew 23, 5, Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, in the ancient, in the ancient culture, the tassels on, on their garments were tassels to remind them to pray, and they made them extra long as if to indicate that they are uh, people who give uh, extra time in prayer. And they would make their boxes really, you know, I, when Jesus rebukes them like this, I begin to envision like a bread box, you know, tied to somebody's head, and it's really heavy and you're walking around. But you want people to know that you pray. And so they're doing this kind of thing, and Jesus rebukes them in Matthew 23, 5. He says, you're doing this to be seen by men. And so when you read what he instructed, what the law instructed in Deuteronomy 6, it's not so much that God meant this literally, like wrap these things around your arm, but he meant them in the sense that let the word of God and prayer be such a real regular part of your life. It's as if you were binding all of this on your body. It should be a regular practice in our lives that we should be about the word of God and about prayer. But it was taken to a whole level of being a regimented, repeated, just scheduled event. Now, at the turn of the 6th century BC, the two times of prayer went to three times of prayer a day. Because when the Jews were taken into captivity into ancient Babylon, and they were away from the temple, and they were away from Jerusalem, they started practicing prayer at 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. to coincide with the three times a day of the daily sacrifice back at the temple. And that's what Jews still practice today. Three times a day, 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m. And it's on the clock. Now, there are additional prayers depending on Shabbat. If it's Sabbath, there's additional prayers. If it's high holy days like Yom Kippur, there's, a diff- there's additional prayers. And there are additional prayers in, in, in addition to the three regular prayers every single day. But I want you to you know, transport yourself into that mindset because here comes Jesus now addressing prayer. And what he's going to challenge is, what's the motive for praying? Are you doing it because it's 9 a.m., because it's 12 noon, because it's 3 p.m.? Or are you doing it because you really want to connect with the heart of the Father? Are you, doing, are you reciting a prayer because that's the prayer you're supposed to recite and you've memorized it, and so you're just going to rattle it off like you've done a thousand times? Or do you spend time expressing yourself in your own words to the Father through intimate times of personal prayer? Now, you'll notice within this section of prayer is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And even in some of our traditions, we've turned a model of prayer into a 
repetitive prayer. We've turned what Jesus intended to be a framework of how to pray into just a repeated prayer, and many of you could probably say it in your sleep and say it backwards. Our Father who art in heaven, I'll be thy name, the kingdom of God, that will be done. And you've just, because you've been saying it forever and ever. That's not what Jesus intended here. Now, I'm not saying that you should never recite this prayer, you should never pray this prayer as it is. What I'm suggesting to you is that Jesus never intended it to necessarily be a recited prayer. Why? Because that's the very thing he's challenging them in his day, that they are just about repetitive, meaningless prayers that have lost the heart connection with God. And Jesus is going to say, if your prayer life is just about reciting some words on a piece of paper that you've memorized then it's not really a heartfelt expression of your thoughts and your words unto the Father. So he's going to teach this as a framework, as a model, but not necessarily to be this recited, repetitive uh, prayer. So here we go. That said, verse 5, Jesus said, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, again, not if, when, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Some of your Bibles here, King James says, go into your closet. You know, I don't care where you go, if it's in the closet, if it's, you know, in the garage, if it's in your car. Uh, The idea is, take some time to get alone with God, to shut out all the distractions and all the noise and all the clamor of this world and spend significant time in prayer. You say, well, how much am I supposed to do that? I'm not going to make it legalistic for you. But when you look into the Bible and you see how often people prayed on a regular basis, you know, when I think about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he takes Peter, James, and John closer to where he is in prayer, and he finds them sleeping, what did he say to them? He says, could you not tarry for one hour? I'm challenged by that. Jesus says, could you not just pray for one hour? And then he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be people of prayer. I don't know a single Christian, myself included, if you were to ever ask them, do you pray enough, who would answer that by saying, yeah, I kind of pray too much. It's really killing my uh, recreational time and my time with my family, and I don't get my work done, and uh, you know, my boss is ready to fire me because I just frankly am praying too much. I've never met a person who said they pray too much. This This is a lost discipline and privilege and power at our disposal. We don't pray that much. And when we pray, most of the time, It's all, give me, give me, give me, God. God, give me this, give me this, give me, oh, God, give me this. Oh, God, I need this. Oh, God, please hear me. Oh, I beg you, and I want, and I need. (laughs) And how many times does prayer take on the posture of just listening? How many times does prayer take on the posture of just hearing the still, small voice of the Lord? Now, um, I'm challenged by, you know, some of the, Early fathers of the faith, um, George Mueller, for any of you who know a little bit about church history and uh, some great evangelists and pastors of the uh, 19th and 18th century, George Mueller is a great example of prayer. He uh, lived from 1805 to 1898. He died when he was 93 years of age, a Christian evangelist, and he was the director of Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. 
And in the course of his lifetime, he cared for 10,024 orphans. And he built uh, orphanages, and he also established 117 schools, which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children. Uh, Most of them were orphans. And yet George Mueller never asked for a single penny in the course of his lifetime to build the orphanages and to take care of the orphans that he ministered to. All he ever did was pray. And Mueller would, and when you study some of these great men of faith in the 19th and 18th century, uh, and even before that, Martin Luther prayed on average three hours a day. John Wesley prayed on average two hours a day. George Whitfield got up at four o'clock every morning and prayed an hour in the morning, an hour at lunchtime, an hour at night, three hours a day. George Mueller pl- prayed hours on end. And how he was able to sustain his orphanages and, uh, and, um, be able to minister to all these orphans over the course of his lifetime was completely on the basis of prayer. And um, there was one documented example of prayer that was recorded by Roger Steer, who wrote uh, the book George Mueller Delighted in God. And um, there was an occasion where all the orphans were sitting at the breakfast table in the dining hall, and there was no food. I mean, there was literally no food. And so the kids were just sitting there, and George Mueller said, all right, kids, we're just going to pray until God supplies. And they started praying. And before they knew it, there was a knock on the door. And the guy who owned the bakery down the street said, I just felt impressed to come and unload all this bread. Do you need bread? And he brings all this bread into the orphanage. But then they didn't have anything to drink, so they prayed some more. And then there was another knock at the door. And there was the milk truck that at the time was a carriage drawn by horses, uh, broke down in front of the orphanage, and the guys came and knocked at the door. He said, hey, my carriage just broke down. I got all this milk, and it's all going to spoil. I can't get to my destination. Do you all think you can use some milk? And those are the amazing kinds of prayer just to watch the way that God would supply because a man just devoted himself to constant prayer. And in the course of his lifetime, the last 60 years of his life is when he really ran these orphanages and built them. He took in, in donations, the equivalent today in today's dollar of $150 million. And he never asked for a penny. He just prayed and God supplied it all. And listening to just a few things that he said uh, when he talked about prayer, he said, Prayer isn't just quiet time with God in the morning, although that it was important. It was a way of life. He said, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about, when I lie down and when I rise up, and the answers are always coming. Thousands and tens of thousands of times have my prayers been answered. When once I am persuaded that a thing is right and for the glory of God, I go on praying for it until the answer comes. George Mueller never gives up. He also ended up writing, he said this, he said, quote, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. Having done this, I do not leave the result to feeling or simple impressions. If so, I make myself liable to great delusions. I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. 
Next, I take into account providential circumstances. These plainly indicate God's will in connection with His Word and Spirit. I ask God in prayer to reveal His will to me aright. Thus, through prayer to God, the study of the Word and reflection, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my ability and knowledge, and if my mind is thus at peace, and continues so after two or three more petitions, I proceed accordingly. In trivial matters and transactions involving most important issues, I have found this method always effective. Now, here's what Mueller would do. He would read through the Bible four times completely through every single year. And so he developed a great appreciation for, for the Word of God, and his prayer life was combined with the Scriptures. That's why he puts great emphasis on the Spirit and the Word. And here's what he would do. When he had a need or he had a desire or request, he wouldn't pray it until he saw it given as an example somewhere in the Bible. That if he saw it modeled in Scripture, then he would turn to that place in the Bible, and he would place his hand on that passage And he would keep his Bible open and he would just pray that scripture unto the Lord in accordance with God's will as it reflected his own need. Because he said, if I see it in the Bible and I see that God answers it, then I know it's in accordance with his will and I know it's in accordance with scripture. And so I prayed according to what the Bible says. And that's what his prayer life was all about. Hours a day in the word of God until he could find and he wouldn't pray, he wouldn't lift it up. Because otherwise he didn't know if it was just his flesh desiring it or whether it was a bona fide, legitimate request before God. And he would use the word to test his prayer life. And when he would find it in the scriptures, then he would pray that unto the Lord. And this man saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And God is faithful to his word. And he answers prayer. And so Jesus speaks here about prayer and the importance of it. He says, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Notice that. Long and loud is not better than short and sincere. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not about the length of your prayers and how loud your prayers are. It, it Loud and, and long is not better than short and sincere. That's what God wants from us, just to be sincere. Don't go on babbling. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that a comforting thing to know? God knows already, before you and I even pray, what we need. So don't go on babbling, and don't be repetitive. You know, don't get all grandiose in your words. That's what the hypocrites were doing. They'd stand on the street corners, and they would get all grandiose, and everybody would know that they're praying. And, you know, we, and we've, we've been in environments, probably I'm sure you have. I've been in environments where, you know, you, you get some lofty person going in these grandiose words like, Our Father. It almost has to be like this, you know, monotone voice if it's going to be powerful. Our Father. Oh, God, creator of the universe, hear our prayer as I beseech thee. King James was good for the day, but you don't need to still pray like that, all right? Now, look, if this is to be personal, right, let it, let it be just, let it just be sincere. Let it just be natural, okay? He's your father in heaven. He doesn't need that. How, many, how bizarre would it be if your kids come home from school and they have a request and you know, they want to be able to go to Burger Fi tonight for dinner and they come to you and they say, Oh, gracious father of the household. 
I dost beseech you that we mighteth go to burger fire. Stop talking to me like that, kid. What is wrong with you? All right, so why do we talk like that to God? Doesn't need to be like that. All right? It doesn't need to be like, oh, yo, yo. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know